We continue our fall sermon series this morning on the Gospel of Matthew. It's entitled Thrive. Our text of scripture for today is another parable from Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew, the 22nd chapter. I invite you to listen for God's word for you. Once more, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his slaves to call those who had been invited to the wedding banquet, but they would not come. Again, he sent other slaves, saying, tell those who've been invited, look, I've prepared my dinner, my oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered, everything is ready, come to the wedding banquet. But they made light of it and went away, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his slaves, mistreated them, and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his troops, destroyed those murderers, and burned their city. Then he said to his slaves, the wedding is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go therefore into the main streets and invite everyone you find to the wedding banquet. Those slaves went out into the streets and gathered all whom they found, both good and bad. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing a wedding robe. And he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding robe? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, bind him hand and foot and throw him into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Will you join me in a word of prayer? Gracious and almighty God, we come before you grateful for the gift of this day. We've come to hear a word from you. So open our eyes and our ears that we may receive from you what you have for us this day. For we pray in the name and for the sake of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. It was the wedding of the year, May 19th, 2018. Prince Harry and Meghan Markle were married in St. George's Chapel at Windsor Castle. The groom, Prince Harry, is the son of Prince Charles and Diana, a member of the British royal family. The bride, Meghan Markle, an American who worked briefly as an actress. And on the morning of their wedding, Queen Elizabeth II, Prince Harry's grandmother, conferred the titles of Duke of Sussex, Earl of Dumbarton, and Baron Kikil on Harry. Upon the marriage, Meghan Markle became the Duchess of Sussex, Countess of Dumbarton, and Baroness Kilkeel. Like many around the world, I watched at least portions of the wedding, and it was indeed a regal affair, blending music both from the Church of England and the African-American tradition. Guide me, O thou great Redeemer, brought a tear to Harry's eye since it was also sung at his mother's, Diana's, funeral. Stand by me was played, as well as Jester Hairston's Amen. 
along with other arrangements in both traditions. Attire for the wedding was specified in the invitations. Dress uniform, morning coat or lounge suit for men. For women, day dress and hat. Harry wore the frock coat uniform of the Blues and Royals, the Royal Horse Horse Guards and the First Dragoons, in which he was commissioned and served for 10 years. He wore the rank of major. The wedding dress, made of double-bonded silk caddy cushioned by an underskirt and triple silk organza, had a boat neckline, long sleeve, sweeping train, The silk veil was 16 feet long, embroidered with 55 flowers, representing the 53 countries of the Commonwealth, as well as winter sweet, which grows in front of the cottage where Harry and Meghan live, and the California poppy, the state flower of her home state. And of course, there was the diamond tiara, made in 1932 for Queen Mary. As you can see, some weddings are big affairs. And they require taking very seriously the invitation should you be lucky enough to receive one. There's an old story told about Winston Churchill that he once received an invitation from his good friend George Bernard Shaw, the playwright. And it read, enclosed are two tickets for the first night performance of a play of mine. Bring a friend if you have one. So Churchill shot back, I thank you very much for the invitation and the tickets. Unfortunately, I'm engaged on that night, but I could have tickets for the second night if there is one. Apparently not everyone looks forward to attending big parties. So Jesus tells the story of a wedding feast. The number one mover and shaker in the region had a son who wanted to get married. So Mr. Big sends out announcements that on Saturday afternoon there's to be a wedding. And all the other movers and shakers already have things to do, places to go, businesses to conduct, trips they'd planned, ball games to attend. They can't make it Saturday. They probably talked among themselves. I mean, who does he think he is anyway? Like we're all just sitting around with an open social calendar waiting for the possibility that his family might invite us to something? So they smile at the arrogance of such a man. Some even push the messenger out of the door. A few harass and insult the actions of Mr. Big by beating up on the messenger pretty good. It's not a pretty picture, really, for the beginning of a party. This is much more than a social snub. Mr. Big tries one more time. This time, he'd made all the preparations for the party. He invites everyone they found in the main streets, both good and bad. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. Well, what's going on beneath the surface of this parable? Well, the first clue is the king who gave a wedding banquet for his son. Now, who do you think the son is in this parable? That's pretty obvious, right? Jesus The second clue comes in the outrageous plot. How many people do you know who kill the postman for delivering a wedding invitation? And how likely is it that the feast is going to be put on hold 
while Mr. Big mobilizes an army to burn down a whole city to the ground. I really can't understand this story without knowing that behind it is Jesus' own disappointment that so few of God's people accept the invitation to celebrate with God's Son. See, the prophets had invited them, but some of them killed the prophets. And in the year 70, in the common era, Rome was... Rome sacked and burned Jerusalem, demolishing the temple right down to the retaining walls. And then the Jewish community of Christ's followers opened up to people like us, the Gentiles, the unwashed, and the second shift of guests. And a new controversy set in. These Gentile latecomers, they had no history with the living God. They acted as if God's grace gave them permission to live any way they wanted. Pretty soon, these first Christians had a discipline problem on their hands. These followers of Jesus sat down at God's table with no sense of what it meant for them to be there. And as far as they knew, you showed up in God's presence however you wanted to show up. I mean, wasn't the invitation to the party a kind of come as you are? Everybody welcome, nothing required, no fancy clothes, no etiquette, no RSVP. Apparently there's more than just showing up for this party that's required. Being an invited guest does mean I can do as I please. It does not mean that. Being invited at the last minute, it does not mean that anything goes. I've been invited to a party given by God himself and I'm asked to rise to the occasion. See, the authority of Jesus is challenged five times in encounters with religious officials in the Gospel of Matthew. By what authority are you doing these things and who gave you this authority? The chief priests and elders asked him as he was teaching in the temple. And three parables recorded in Matthew's gospel are incorporated in his response. The first, about two kinds of sons. The second, about two kinds of farmers. And this third one, about a wedding banquet and two kinds of responses. They're sometimes referred to as the Israel parables, but Dale Bruner prefers the people of God parables. Because they, quote, paint the picture of the responses of the people of God, old and new, to God's coming. They're also known as judgment parables because they teach the urgency of faith. Not just a verbalized faith or a formal, even conversion kind of faith. These require a special kind of faith, obedient faith, if judgment's to be avoided. In the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7, there's a similar message. Enter through the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the road is easy that leads to destruction and there are many who take it. For the gate is narrow and the road is hard that leads to life and there are few who take it. Texts like these have created no small amount of anxiety for people of faith 
The followers of Jesus have had to wonder whether their faith is enough. Many are called, but only a few chosen. Am I one of the chosen, we wonder? Will I be wearing the correct clothing when the time comes? Is my faith an obedient faith? Or am I too distracted by things of life? Well, Christian faith puts us in life with confidence, not anxiety. I mean, that's literally what the word means, confidence with faith. But there's a caution here. We do periodically need to reevaluate from time to time to see whether we have grown complacent in our faith, whether we've just conformed to the world around us rather than being transformed by the presence of Christ within us and among us. And a parable like this has a way of kind of reframing your self-evaluation. There's a fundamental question under this. If you were accused of being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? There just may be a day coming when that question will be asked of each one of us. Now, John Calvin, the father of the Reformed faith, maintained that the clothes we are to put on for this banquet is Christ himself. In Romans 13, 14, we read, we are to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. In Galatians 3, 27, we read, as many of you as were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. Apart from being clothed with Christ, we stand judged before God. And we don't want to be ill-suited or underdressed for this occasion. Many are invited, but few are chosen. Many begin the journey of faith, but far fewer persevere to the end. We become distracted by endless numbers of other things to do, other endeavors that seem so important at the time. We end up taking God's invitation too lightly. You see, the problem is that we may become so well-suited for this world that we will be found completely unsuitable for the kingdom of heaven. So this story tells me that the underdressed wedding guest got bounced because he wouldn't rise to the occasion. I mean, maybe he thought the host was lucky he came at all. Maybe he thought he was doing Mr. Big a favor by showing up to eat the food that otherwise would have gone to waste. And if that was the case, he made a serious mistake about who was doing whom a favor. Whatever his logic, he didn't rise to the occasion. Instead, he demeaned it by refusing to change. And I'm not really talking about changing clothes here. Like everything else in the story, wedding clothes have a deeper meaning. Jesus is talking about a whole new way of life, about a way of life that honors the host, one that recognizes the privilege of being invited into his presence, even if the invitation arrives at the last minute. This underdressed guest's mistake was not that he showed up in shorts. His mistake was that he showed up short on right living and thought no one would notice, least of all the host. Here Jesus is talking about the central question of my life. This party of God that has to do with my relationship with the Holy One 
and my response to the grace of God. That's the most important thing about me. It's not some little side bet or a side hustle that I just kind of keep going for fun or just in case. While this story addresses the particular situation in the life of the first Christians, deeper down, it's talking about what happens every Sunday. Now look, worship may not be a wedding party, but it's certainly meant to be a rehearsal dinner where each of us get to practice our parts. Everyone in Los Angeles County is invited to be here this morning or in some other place of worship. But as you know, some of them had other things to do. Some are at work, some are working out, some are off to the desert, some are still in bed. However we showed up this morning, not necessarily because we're any better than anyone else, for good and bad reasons, we decided to accept the invitation this morning. And quite possibly some of us, like that underdressed guest, probably rolled into worship without thinking very much about it, especially since we're worshiping at home. We kind of showed up with our spiritual shirt tails hanging out. We may even hope that no one can see the ways we too have refused to change. How we've refused to surrender our fears and resentments how we've refused to share our wealth, refused to respect the dignity of every human being. And wearing the same old clothes when I came to the king's banquet, the clothes I prefer rather than the clothes of new life. We're talking here about a party that's the most important party of our lives. It's no casual come and go affair just do a touchdown and then off to something else. It's life and death. God is looking for people who will rise to the occasion of honoring his son. And we can do that in shorts and running shoes as well as we can do it in suits and high heels because the wedding clothes we're talking about are not made out of denim or silk. Clothes for the party are made from the whole fabric of my life using patterns that God has given me, patterns of justice, forgiveness, living kindness, peace. And when I put them on, they fit like a glove. Absolutely stunning. And I wonder why would I want to wear anything else? Especially if I want to be ready for the party whenever that invitation comes. Thanks be to God. Amen.